You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. I'd like to begin by calling in the spirits to join us here today. So I call out to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful into our lives. I call out to those who carry the legacy of those who have gone before us. And I ask them to be with us here today that we might grow wise by learning from their lives and draw what was the strength and the deep wisdom and the experience of their lives into our own that we might go forward in new ways, possibly new ways that have not yet been tried. We ask for these ancestors to stand with us that we might innovate and change, renew, restore, and to do things in ways that are not necessarily part of the momentum of time, but are part of the inspiration of the people alive in this time. So we ask those ancestors to stand around us and to hold us well as the living, as those who are here to make what needs to happen happen for those who are coming. So we call out to those ancestors to stand around us here today as we go within ourselves and extend our energy down into the center of the earth and to call out to that most essential ancestor, even older than all of our human ancestors, the earth. And we call out to the earth, the being, to be with us here today and to bring to us her expansive, unbelievable, unimaginable wisdom of how to be manifest in form in a good way how to live with other things, other beings, human and non-human beings in a good way, how to be part of an ecosystem that thrives and allows everything to be renewed, to express in new ways, to die off and become new again. And so we call out to the earth to help us to understand that cyclical wisdom of manifestation. We give thanks to the earth for home, for belonging, for place. We give thanks to the earth for connection and interconnection and all of the energies that allow us to be the living with all of the other living things here in the great diversity of life as it is expressed here on the face of this planet. And so we give thanks to the earth for the miracle of life, the wonder of this day, and the opportunity to embrace that and do something of great beauty with it. We give thanks to the earth. And with our feet firmly planted in the earth and the ancestors gathering around us, we reach up through our heart and our mind and out through the sky all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name we call this energy, let us call it down. Draw it into ourselves, into our circle, into our day. We call in the energy of protection and blessing. We call in the energy of generosity and benevolence. We call in the energy of all of the wisdom of the cosmos. And we ask those ancestors to be with us here today as well. So as we draw the energy of the sky down into our bodies to mix with the energy of the earth, let these energies come into a blend that is exactly perfect for us here today to bring us into balance. And from that place, inspired by the earth and the sky, inspired by the wisdom of manifestation and the wisdom of the cosmos, let us call out to the energy of the heart. 
Let's call out to the spirit of the human heart and ask the heart to be here with us today in the center of all things. And we ask the heart to be that unique crucible that it is that can hold the fiery passions of the lower chakras and the belly and the cool crystal clarity of the upper chakras and the mind. It can draw these energies together in the heart and create a third energy that has not yet been born. And that is the energy of your soul's unique purpose and the way that you can bring those gifts into the world. And may we find in our hearts the courage to live those gifts in a good way. So may what needs to be said be said, and what needs to be heard be heard. May the ancestors hold us well that all these proceedings today go forward in a way that is good for all living things. So I want to give thanks to those of you that keep the show on the air. So I give thanks to Stephanie and Cecily and those who have donated since the last show. If this show has been meaningful to you in any way, know that you are now able to donate to express that exchange of energy, whether it is... um, brings you joy and inspiration or anger and frustration you've still been moved in the heart and if you are moved in the heart allow your heart to move you into action and do something that allows the show to grow and one of the things that you can do is donate by going to whyshamanismnow.com which is also the place to find all the archives for free and uh, go there to the website click the donate button or support button pardon me and to offer any amount large or small it is all greatly appreciated and all of it goes directly to keeping the show on the air So I would like to give thanks to all of you for keeping the show alive, give thanks to Co-Creator Network, and to give a special thanks to our guest today, Lenore Norgard. Welcome, Lenore. Thanks, Christina. And so, Lenore, uh, it's good for you to to have you here. So our topic today, and the particular reason that I've invited Lenore, is I want to talk about shamanic activism today, and in particular, responding to the Occupy movement that is going on all around us. Um... So for those of you that don't know Lenore, there is a wonderful um, show with Lenore from back in 2009, and you can find that in the archives. Just go to the guest, click on guests, and scroll down to Lenore, and it's right there, and you're welcome to listen to it. And she talks more fully about um, shamanic activism and the use of shamanic skills in social change. We're going to talk a little bit more specifically today about what's going on in our world at the moment, but that is a great show to go listen to and complement to today's show. So Lenore uh, was called to a shamanic path in 1987, and her work can be be found at LenoreNorgard.com. So L-E-N-O-R-E-N-O-R-R-G-A-R-D.com. Uh, But Google can figure it out, even if you spell it wrong. No worries. Um, So she's been a social activist for 40 years. And following a spontaneous shamanic healing 25 years ago, she experienced a life-changing paradigm shift around how to achieve profound social change and started seeing herself as a social healer. From the beginning, her work as a shamanic healer, teacher, and consultant has included working at the social level. And that's not true for all shamanic practitioners. So Lenore is very unique in this sense. Um, So her work has always included this um, awareness and action and, frankly, effectiveness um, at the social level. And uh, most markedly through rituals for social healing. Lenore offers shamanism for activist training, leads large public peacemaking rituals, most recently for the opening rally of the Peace and Justice Studies annual conference. And she is currently involved in the Occupy Wall Street movement. You can read about Lenore's spiritual activism in her article, Ritual and Activism, The Alchemy of Social Change in Sacred Hoop, our favorite magazine, and it is in issue 58, and so you can go into the Sacred Hoop archives and order that issue um, uh, to read Lenore's article. 
So you can contact Lenore at Lenore at Lenore Norgard.com or just go to the website, Lenore Norgard.com. So um, I would also like to give thanks today to the Society of Shamanic Practitioners for they are sponsoring the show. So we give thanks to them. And if you want to find the SSP, they are at shamansociety.org. We are live. You are welcome to contact us um, by Skyping from the co-creatornetwork.com site. You can email me at christina at lastmasscenter.org with your questions or simply call in at 512-772-1938. So, Lenore, what do you think is really important um, that you've learned over these many years, really um, over two decades, in bringing shamanic awareness and shamanic skills to social activism? What are the most important things that you've learned? Well, Christina, since I first had my uh, shamanic awakening 25 years ago after spontaneous healing, my first thought after that moment was this is what's been missing from the activism, that being the spiritual power and the miraculous power for rapid healing and change. So I would say the first thing I learned is that miracles are possible and that rapid, profound change is possible. Since I experienced that on a personal level, I realized it could also happen on a social level, and I've witnessed that. Another one relating to that is the reality of spiritual power that I just referenced, and that being achieving a primacy in my life over any kind of ideology, that it's a living relationship with the unseen world that can bring the profound healing and harmonizing that we so badly need today. I think you were going to say something. Well, I was just going to ask, you know, so as you were, you know, you were already, you know, fully immersed in, in, in seeing the world as an activist does. And so what was sort of like, what was the, the, the illness or whatever that you really saw this connection with spirit could shift or change or move in, in that movement? Well, again, after I received a spontaneous healing of a decades-long clinical depression, one of the first things I realized was that the paradigm I'd been working from of a us versus them was not accurate. And so that collapsed, that dichotomy collapsed, and I was I really experienced in a very visceral, cellular as well as spiritual way that we are indeed all one. And that is such a different idea than the dominant culture has. So that was probably the most radicalizing thing from that experience. And so what else then have you learned um, as you've been doing this work um, for decades now? Well, another key thing is learning not to try to control the outcome of healing, that when we seek help from the unseen world, from the ancestors, from the compassionate spirits and bringing about healing, whether for an individual or a family or a country or a community or the whole world, that it's very important that we dedicate ourselves to surrendering to the highest good of all and not be attached to exactly how that's going to be expressed, that it may turn to be a form that we haven't imagined before. It may go through a phase or a process that we find dismaying, but that ultimately we serve the highest good of all. 
Well, this is a really challenging idea. I mean, it's it's the, a core idea in shamanic work, but I think that it's a very challenging idea in terms of change on a larger scale because I know when people knock on my door to ask for help for their cause, their outcome is very clear. Right. And I, I could give an example of a yeah. – of a training that I gave some years ago, Shamanism for Activists, where we were actually gathered for, on a weekend that coincided with a large um, globalization meeting. I don't recall whether it was the IMF or the World Trade Organization or which large globalizing um, meeting was happening that weekend. But this was, I'm trying to think what year it was. In any case, what was important was that people were. The, the people attending the workshop were activists. So the training was explicitly shamanism for activists. And so the people who were there that weekend were understandably very focused on what was happening in the external world at this globalization gathering. And when I teach shamanic journeying, as I was that weekend, I like to do what I call a group journey where the group chooses an intention for a journey and everyone journeys on that intention. And then we collate the response that we get from the spirits. So when I put that out, people immediately wanted to journey about how we could stop globalization. Naturally, that was what came up. And the interesting thing was that when I teach demonic journeying, I always talk extensively about being open to answers, um, not constraining the spirits with conditions um, being open to answers that we might not even imagine and to outcomes we couldn't imagine. So I brought this up and I said, you know, my heart is really with you about wanting to stop globalization. And as a shamanic practitioner, you know, I understand that I don't have an omniscient view. I don't know what the role of globalization is and the unfolding mystery of the Earth's drama and the unfolding story of humanity on this planet. And it was very interesting because we had been talking about being open earlier in the weekend, people understood what I was saying. And it was a really transformative moment where people were able to step back and go, oh, that's not really what we need to ask. We don't as much as our hearts want to end globalization or to stop it, we are not omniscient and we don't know what the role of globalization is finally and ultimately. And so we worked with that and the question people came up with and journeyed on was, what is our right relationship to globalization? Which is a very, very different question. And people had very profound journeys. I know we don't have time to go into all that today, but that's an example um, of how that shift can happen. Well, and, and just to kind of sum it, sum it up in a sense that really what we're, what we're going through is, is all of these deep, ancient, long-held, essential spiritual principles that they simply are, you know, and this one is that, you know, non-attachment. And your first one, you know, was, you know, so that all are one. You know, we can't do these active things in the world and do them contrary to these spiritual principles and expect a spiritually sound outcome. So anyway. Yeah, or, uh, or, even, or a sound outcome at all. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think we can have a, an outcome that will 
ultimately be in line with what our heart's desire is when we insist on having, you know, a stranglehold on the outcome. We have to, I think, I think, so I think talking about here is shamanic humility and having humility before the mystery of all things and that we simply are not God. We simply are not omniscient. And so what we need to seek is how can we work in harmony with the mystery and with the whole and be achieve a comfort level with there being mystery. I think that's a challenge when we grow up in a world that is overly rational. And I, I really believe that the overemphasis on rationality and understanding with the mind um, is part of what keeps us enslaved to, um, how do I want to say, to a system that really is out of harmony. You know, that if we come back into our heart and surrender to the possibility of outcomes and knowings that are beyond the rational mind, we can liberate ourselves. Okay, so we have that spiritual power is real and that we can be in relationship with it and that when we are, miracles are possible. And in doing that, we need to not try to control the outcome. And are there other important things that you learned over the years that we want to hold on to as we go forward? Uh, again, the, just to reemphasize, again, working for the highest good. And also another thing would be that we can do work to affect healing in ordinary reality by working in non-ordinary reality or in the spirit world. And so, for example, we can do rituals for healing history, healing the past, you know, un, uh, combing out the tangles that exist between humans and between among humans, I should say, and between humans and the rest of life on the planet. So um, can you give just a, a short example of what that could look like? Well, there are a couple of um, – it, it can look like a lot of things. I mean, I, as you and I both practice, Christina, we live uh, our practice as a living practice, not a rote practice. For me, that's really the heart of shamanic practice is that we don't work in a rote way. It is alive. We are in constant consultation with the spirits about what ritual might be appropriate. And there are also rituals that have been practiced for decades, centuries, millennia in particular cultures that we can draw on that have power as well. So I could name a couple of those that I've worked with. Um, one is one that I learned from Myra Nischowski that comes from Africa. I don't know where specifically in Africa, but he calls the ritual dancing out the conflict. And in that ritual, people who are studied in shamanic practices and who know how to work with the other worlds in a skilled way, um, work in a fashion where we represent the different facets of a conflict in, in ritual and also bring in the healing power of the compassionate spirits to, to bring about healing in regards to the dynamics in that conflict. So that's uh, one way that I often work and teach. Another one is called the conjure dance, which actually is indigenous to Turtle Island here, North America. Uh, it comes from the Louisiana and is a, involves a confluence of different spiritual traditions, including the indigenous native traditions, the, um, the Caribbean, African traditions, and also the French traditions. And in the conjure dance, 
people danced for decades to end slavery, for example. And in the conjure dance, what we do is we call in particular ancestral and earth spirits to work towards a particular intention. And so, for example, the intention in those days was around ending slavery. Now, with any of this kind of ritual, we're always very, very careful about choosing our intention. And even choosing the intention is done in consultation with the spirits. So, you know, with the, with the earlier example I gave of ending globalization, we shifted it to right livelihood to globalization, for example. So I, I think about um, the conjure dance and, you know, what the intention might be for a conjure dance around Occupy Wall Street. And maybe we could talk about that a bit later. Well, let's, let's do shift now gears a little bit here and talk about Occupy, the, well, the whole Occupy movement, Occupy Wall Street movement, and, and just maybe to reflect on it from a shamanic perspective. Like, what is it, sort of, from a shamanic perspective? Well, I see this movement, of course, we can see that it entails a huge percentage of the collective in this country and around the world in an overt way. So there are people in, I believe it's now thousands of cities around the world, Um, particularly in the United States, but also other countries, to be sure, who are participating. And we also know that there are vast numbers of people who are in sympathy with this movement, whether they're directly participating or not, they may be supporting. Um, So it certainly represents a mass awakening, I would say, a mass consciousness about a need for a change on the planet. And I see it as a part of the evolution of the planet Earth in regards to us being one of the native species here and our role on the planet. So I see this as an opportunity for, um, for us to be part of the conscious evolution of the planet. Are there, and how, and sort of shamanically then, how would you look, sort of describe the, the other energies that are part of the dynamic of what's going on? I mean the 1%. <laughs> well, or 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 even other energies. I mean, are there could be ancestral energies or mm. you know earth energies. I mean, there's mm-hmm. it's it you know as you've already said it's not just us and them that there's a lot there's a well for example, one of the things I've noticed recently as I'm working with people is where I'm working with the children of pe- of people who are older now so the sort of like the last generation that made gobs of money when when someone is talking about how their mother or their father is sort of unbelievably rich and that mm-hmm. their whole life was spent driven by the kind of greed this is the child's perspective but you know a, a person who valued the, the 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 greed choices that is part of what the movement is responding to right now that that person who was supposedly so unbelievably greedy and horrid was actually being driven by an ex, an, an, a spirit that mm-hmm. was sort of feeding on the person. So the person's sort of unbelievable greed was more than just a human's greed. Mm-hmm. It was being enhanced by spirit. Now, this is a pretty extreme example to bring up in the middle of the show, but but that's part of the thing that we're looking at is – you know, when I work with issues around war, we're always working with ancestral issues too. And so in this, in this 
Occupy movement, there's, there is the 99% and the 1%, but it seems to me that we're held in even larger forces somehow. Right. Well, I, I, um, I think one of the crucial things for the movement to come to terms with is, is exactly what you're talking about, is that we are all one. You know, whether we're talking about all humans, whether we're talking about um, our ancestors, or whether we're talking about those who are on the planet today, our descendants, whether we're talking about the other life forms on the planet and the planet itself, it's really important to bring that consciousness into this movement. Um, and it's, 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 it's a challenge, you know, it's definitely a challenge, but, but I also believe that, you know, we, we are fortunate to have ancestors before us who did understand that, you know, who were also activists such as, you know, King and Gandhi. So we have their wisdom to draw on, on their practices. And I think it's also important for us to be creative in coming up with new ways to practice and new ways to, um, participate in the evolution of the planet well and there's one other piece i want to throw in here actually that you just you just made me think of is that part of the the argument that has moved people on this path that is unsustainable has been that this is how humans are Mm. and while and while i do believe that humans throughout the generations have pretty much the same weaknesses. The truth is there have been periods of time where many diverse people live together in very solid harmony for, you know, for hundreds of years. So it isn't true that humans constantly have to be in this state of warfare on some level. Exactly. And that, and that, and that, that story that, well, that's just how humans are is part of what undermines the, the larger story I think we all get in our dreams at night, which is that it's, it's one of the ways humans are, but there mm-hmm. are other ways. And you all, every single person on the planet has ancestors, ancient ancestors, granted, nonetheless, ancestors you have a direct connection to that do precisely know how to live in the world in a way that honors diversity and grows rich from it, in all, in, rich in all ways, not just wealth, but rich in all ways and so this that's i don't know just wanted to bring that out is our ancestors have lived in many many different ways and you know so you know people do your research <laughs> you know, don't just believe what they're telling you, you know? so anyway right. so with and, that and again and, and, and again it gets back also to the question of healing history which is also something that is a concept that's very unfamiliar to most people that you how could you ever heal history but again, it is something we can work through. We can work towards through ritual. I think that there's a piece that um, is hard. It's hard for people to grasp. It's it's funny. I was going to, you know, as someone who studied chemistry, which is pretty hard science in college. But if you really go to the edges of that work, you end up in all this, you know, theoretical physics and all this stuff that's very shamanic. But I think that it's really hard for um, – oh, God, I just lost my train of thought of what I was saying. Talking about healing history. It was for people to recognize that with shamanic skills brought in – not that everybody has to do them, but with the shamanic perspective brought into any situation, you now immediately create the opportunity to heal outside of the constraints of time and space. Right. And I know that that makes people go, huh? But it's real. It's, I mean, it's 
real in your life. It's real in my life. We do it every day we go to work. It's not astounding. It's normal, you know, and that, and that our willingness to open up to the piece that that brings into the puzzle, I think is, is important. Right. Right. It's not only important, it's necessary. You know, I, we, we talk a lot, you know, we're aware of individual histories and there's also collective histories. So when we look at, you know, history, I often think of the United States as being a country that was founded in trauma, you know, the trauma of um, starvation in Europe and the upheavals of the Industrial Revolution and all the losses that entailed for masses and masses of people. And then we had, you know, colonization and genocide and then we had, you know, indentured servitude and we had slavery all these things, you know, create a kind of a quite a stew of trauma that the country was founded in. And I really believe that we are still playing out a lot of those threads. And so bringing, bringing healing to bear on those historic traumas is important in being able to un- untangle the threads and to come into harmony with one another and to go forward in a good way. And so this is perhaps one of the greatest opportunities that we have as the collective right now is, is, to, is to begin to move out of that, um, you know, to heal that history and move from the, a healed place forward in right. a different way. Instead of just repeating the same history again and again because we can't imagine anything else other right. than that. Yeah. And I'd like I'd like to just mention if I could something that's happening in Oakland this week. I'm in Oakland. Oakland's been on the news a lot and I've I've been involved with the Occupy movement here to a certain degree. And I I was really heartened to receive this flyer the other night. There was a, a blessing given by some native elders and community on the Occupy movement here two nights ago, which was very lovely, and I could share some of that if you want later. But I was very moved and very excited to get a flyer that reads as follows candlelight vigil honoring our ancestors our foremothers our forefathers ancestors who fought and rebelled from day one of this land occupation slave revolters freedom fighters migrant workers indigenous warriors indentured servants We honor inspirational figures from our diverse backgrounds and the steadfast resiliency of our communities that brought us to this pivotal moment in time. We will draw upon this collective spirit to guide us forward. I think that's pretty incredible. And um, this is being organized by uh, queer people of color and people of color caucus of Occupy Oakland. So... I wanted to share that. I find it so inspiring and so heartening that this is happening. So what do you see now? In, so what's interesting, I think, in, in the show today is that a huge amount has changed in the, in the movement since we were last talking about the show, like in the last handful of days. Much has changed and things are shifting and moving. And so I'm just sort of... Uh, Wondering, what do you see as the real opportunities that we could potentially seize and maybe how could we seize them going forward? But what are the hazards as well in this particular juncture um, of social change or not change? (laughs) (laughs) So when you say say we, can you say 
who you're referring to? Do you mean we as Americans or we as humans or we as shamanic practitioners or I'm thinking more right now we as the larger collective, not not necessarily shamanic practitioners. I'd like to ask the same question about shamanic practitioners next, but just right now we Mm -hmm. as humans. And because we're really at a vulnerable juncture, I think right now we're lots vulnerable and potential because it's a place of potential and a place of change. It's also a place to get very scared and go right back. To what was. So are you talking about like the police crackdowns and the closing of encampments and that kind of thing? Yes and no. I guess what yes, but also what I'm talking about is it's is there is a place where the next step needs to happen. And on and we're sitting here talking about ancestors and healing the past and that's really big mm-hmm. and ultimately it does need to happen. At the same time there's there needs to be there but there are steps there are steps to getting wherever it is are all going together but you know there's there's things that need to happen at this point mm-hmm. and and we're not um i guess what i'm saying is the movement has moved past the place of getting noticed it's global like you said a thousand cities or or, or more it's it's noticed now what 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 there's this is a really pregnant place but also mm-hmm. vulnerable place mm-hmm. well i think that a couple things one is that you know as a longtime activist one thing that we have to balance is the opportunity of of the moment and the um you know the felt urgency you know we can see well this this moment is going to pass what are we going to do before it passes there's that piece the balancing piece to that is being able to take a long view and not to be reactive and being able to work from uh, a larger perspective and from a centered space. So one thing I've, I, I noticed, you know, locally and also I visited Portland last week and, and have some contacts with people there is, um, you know, a, t- a tendency to to react. You know, something happens, and then we feel we have to respond right away. Which, on one level, like I mean, I totally understand the impulse, and it also can put us in a defensive position where it's very difficult to be proactive and ha- set our own agenda. So, that's one response I have: is the importance of us being able to um, take the time uh, for self care. This might sound really mundane in light of everything that's going on. But I'm sure people who lived through the 60s and 70s can relate to what I'm talking about. And even people who've been involved in this movement for a few weeks very intensively know how people can get burned out, know how people can get thrown off center, know how people can um, fall into reactivity with one another in the movement as well as towards the powers that be. And things can kind of go in a downward spiral. So I think it's really crucial, and I, I have heard people talking about it locally, like, okay, I'm going to take a day off, I need to just go chill out, I need to pray, you know, I need to spend some time with my children. I think those are really healthy responses um, to the pressures, and that, so I guess that's one thing I want to talk about, is the importance of being able to have a, a, a bigger and a larger view and to not fall into reactivity. You know, that may mean taking time out to meditate and to pray. It may mean um, getting enough rest after, you know, spending a few days of not getting enough rest. 
I don't know if that's what you were getting at, Christina, but that's one of the immediate things that comes to my mind. Well, it's certainly one of the hazards of this of this moment, this this place in the process, definitely. What do you feel are some of the opportunities of where where the movement is at this time? I think the biggest opportunity that I see is um, and what I'm so inspired by, particularly with the New York Occupy Wall Street, is but I've, I've seen it repeated in other places, is the ability, the desire and the ability of people to craft a new way of living together. That the, you know, people have come into collectivities in these different places where they're actually living together. Even people who aren't camping there may spend a lot of time there on these encampments and people are creating um, a collectivity that is so... Um, out of sync with with what the dominant culture dictates of where it's all about me, it's all about me and my personal wants. You know, this is something totally other where people are creating something much closer to um, what a tribal society might be like, where people are looking after each other, people are setting up services to take care of one another's needs, people are participating in direct democracy and making decisions together. Uh, This is a, a, a new experience for many people. And I think that opportunity for us to seize that experience and, and to grow it is crucial. I think that's what sets this movement apart from things that have happened for the last few decades is it's got a vision. It it may be embryonic, you know, but there's, there's a intuitive visceral knowing of a different way of living and, I think that building on that and expanding that is one of the biggest opportunities. And within that, we see people who have been divided um, coming together and having really profound conversations, teaching one another, um, working through conflicts, coming to a bigger sense of the whole through that sometimes very challenging work. So what do you feel then, um, how do we then as shamanic practitioners respond to this time and, and the potential in this time? What, do you, what, do you, what is your sense of the, of the value that we can bring to this? I think that it depends on the individual. I think there's a lot of different levels that we can contribute uh, I made a journey yesterday for the show, and I'm just going to touch on that. I'll, I'll go into the more fully maybe in a little bit. But one of the messages I got was um, the importance of us to to do the internal work and that it's a place where everybody can work. No matter, and you don't even have to practice shamanism to do it. When we have shamanic tools to do it, that can be very powerful. But doing deep spiritual work of a personal nature, it's never solely personal. You know, as long as you're not engaging in spiritual bypassing of avoiding, you know, the deep healing in oneself, doing that work impacts the whole. We live in a holographic universe. So everything out there is also inside us. And when we do the work to bring about harmony within ourselves and heal that, those imbalances within ourselves, it emanates out into the world. And I think that that work is so important for those of us who do want to engage also in the outer world with the ordinary reality movement. It's really crucial to do that internal work. So 
to find the 1% in ourselves, you know, to find that because we all have that consciousness in ourselves to find that work with that, um, to be able to identify where there's disharmony and to bring harmony about. So that's one piece. And, and then you can, you know, moving out from that, it could be, you know, where do I have disharmony in my immediate relationships with other people or with other beings, you know, and, and what, what can I do about that and finding creative and liberatory ways to be in relationship that again, may be totally different than anything we imagined before. So that's one thing we can all do is to do that more personal work. Those people who are skilled with shamanic work and in, in shamanic collectives, such as shamanic journey or drumming circles, you know, that's another venue where we can work on behalf of the whole and on behalf of the Occupy um, ideals, I'll say. You know, those are places where, you know, we can do ritual. We can we can do something that's more simple, such as journeying for direction about how we can serve the highest good in this movement. And that can be very specific and very individual to different people. That can also be collective things. If you're part of a drumming circle or a journey circle or some other kind of shamanic collectivity where you can journey as a group about what can we do, that's going to be different for every group. You know, if you're a group that knows practices like dancing out the conflict or the conjure dance, or, or maybe you have found or created other rituals of healing, you know, asking the compassionate spirits how you can apply those for the highest good in regards to the Occupy movement. There may be some people who have both the shamanic skills and also the activist background and skills to be able to actually bring the ordinary reality movement and the shamanic work together in the form of um, public rituals or, you know, bringing shamanic perspectives in a way that activists can actually hear them, you know, depending on your locale, depending on the background of the people involved there, that's going to look different in different places. It's going to come through differently. So, for example, I've been involved in some interfaith efforts over the years, and I've found that when I can connect with people in different uh, faith or religious traditions who, who honor and experience kind of the mystical aspect of their tradition, we're often able to come together and do some powerful work together, either privately or bringing that into the public realm of um, public rituals or being part of other public actions. So that's a start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what do you think are or see as some of the hazards in um, particular to shamanic practitioners in, in wanting to respond to, to the movement? Or do you see any? Well, well I think that um, – I think that if we're talking about the public movement of, you know, getting involved and wanting to intervene in, in the public movement – with with activists who who don't practice shamanism then there's a hazard of being able to make that bridge and there is um successfully um there you know there are activists who may be hostile to that or disinterested at best there are also the question of of having enough um activist and political background and experience to be able to actually talk to people so that you know, you can speak in a language and address their concerns so that you can actually make that bridge. So for some people, there may be study to do 
around the issues, around the history, around the dynamics that may be taking place. You know, every city, every locale has its own spirits, its own history, and its own current dynamics that grow out of that. So coming to the ordinary reality table informed of those things is really important. So I would say a hazard would be coming to the ordinary reality table of activism um, uninformed about the ordinary reality background. Another would be coming to the table uninformed about the spiritual background of the locale. You know, every place has its own spirits. Every place has its own spiritual history. And being cognizant of those and coming uh, forward is important. So you you preface that with um, shamanic practitioners wanting to interface with the ordinary reality movement. Were you going to contrast that to hazards in in another arena for shamanic practitioners? (laughs) Well, I think there's always the hazards in any shamanic work of trying to control the outcome, you know, of being attached to having a particular outcome. That's always a hazard. Um, Of not attending to one's own personal work is always a hazard. You know, if if we are not constantly reflecting, you know, on our own material, our own issues, our own gifts, you know, if we're not conscious of those things, then um, we can trip and fall and create havoc. <laughs> and I think that there's another piece I would add in here, just... Um, You know, the Society of Shamanic Practitioners has published their Shamanism Without Borders book, which you can now order and read about and not have to go to the conference necessarily to learn about it. And and there is an idea in there that I think can be, um, you know, sort of transferred into this situation, which is to not simply approach every situation of, you know, is this a soul retrieval or an extraction? You know, it's, it's not a situation that necessarily needs shamanic healing. And, and so they speak a lot in the book about what it means to approach larger situations from the perspective of shamanic tending is the way they're talking about it, which has to do with very much not being attached to an outcome and being there to really um, hold, identify and hold some of the different forces that may not be apparent as you know it hold as in you know holding space and and potentially to speak for the voices that aren't being heard um you know things like that these those are just a few examples but that's something i would encourage people to look into versus you know if if soul retrieval is a hammer and extraction is a screwdriver you know just approaching everything as a hammer and a screwdriver and it is this is not necessarily a situation that is asking for a soul retrieval or an extraction you know like to journey in and extract the anger from the you know movement well maybe that anger is needed so there's a presumption and assumption if if we're just seeing it in that kind of narrow idea of of applying shamanism but stepping back as you've been describing and working with the spirit world and and asking what is really going on here what are the forces at play how do i best serve the outcome for the greatest good versus assuming it's some sort of shamanic healing because that's all you've learned so far at your workshops yeah that's really important i totally appreciate you bringing that up and as well the question of permission Yes. You know, where, who who is who is who is seeking healing? You know, there's a point where we're working with the collective and we're all part of the collective, but there's a point also where, well, here's this individual or this group of people over here, and they may not be interested in your in your. You know, they may be saying, "No, I want my anger. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. leave me alone. Yeah, and I've worked hard so, to wake up, and it's the anger that's keeping me awake and make you know and giving me the energy to do what I need to do. Yeah. So, so what I would, would you like- say? What would you say to the Occupy? movement as a shaman but in particular someone who is versed in shamanic activism what what would you say to the movement if if they called okay <laughs> not like you're not participating in it but but right. you know i actually journeyed on this yesterday and i'd like to read my notes because i know we're getting close to the end and i want to make sure i get this in so one thing actually was about anger interestingly enough it was the first thing that came up and it may because i've been witnessing so much of that um, here in Oakland, but not only here. Anyway, uh, what I got was anger is a signifier that something is wrong and needs to change. There's nothing wrong or bad about anger. The movement needs to honor the anger of participants and to understand how to use it. We know that if anger is hurled outward, it ricochets back and forth and creates destruction. But if its energy is used skillfully, it can be channeled into loving determination to heal our world. Focus on creating, not destroying. If you build something new, what no longer serves will fall away. One of the greatest lies you have been told is that the material world is the ultimate reality. This has led to tremendous disempowerment of the people and to ignorance of the power that you do have. For example, you're taught that sticks and stones may break your bones, but worlds will never harm you. In fact, words and even thoughts and feelings have powerful energy that we can learn to wield to heal our world. You must realize that all are part of the whole, all, even the 1%. They, too, are suffering from from what they perpetrate. All are part of a sacred unfolding drama of the earth. All players must be honored. In indigenous cultures, the opponent is honored and revered. Recovering this practice is important. To take down an opponent is a sacred act and must be executed in a solemn, conscious, and sacred way. Utilize practices that do not vilify anyone. Just as fear feeds on fear, love feeds on love. Don't doubt that any heart can be melted, but that happens through love. Find all the parts in yourselves and harmonize within. Do not castigate parts you do not like, but bring them into harmony. For we live in a holographic universe, wherein the whole resides also in each of the parts. Therefore, the 1% consciousness resides in each of us. That's why deep spiritual work of a personal nature never is solely personal, so long as you're not engaging in spiritual bypassing. This is one place we can work through bringing about balance and harmony in ourselves. This is crucial whether we work out in the world as well or not. Can you make peace with personal enemies? Can you find creative, liberatory ways to be in relationship? It's important to see this movement as part of a perfectly unfolding creation, to acknowledge the mystery, and to seek how you can serve the highest good in this unfolding. Consider what sacrifices do you need to make. Be assured that the ancestors are walking among you, and the more you call on them, the more they'll be present for you, and the more they can help. You are letting go of a control culture. You are birthing a harmonizing culture. It is challenging and exciting. You are courageous to be here at this time 
And please remember that everyone has a role to play. Play your role well and honor the others, including your opponents, and honor mistakes. All are part of learning to come into oneness and to turn this corner. The old can come down more peacefully and completely if you build something strong to take its place. Until you are focused on building the new, you are in a weak position. This is the beauty and strength of Occupy Wall Street. Not struggling with the powers that be to change, nor to meet particular demands, but rather creating something new. Don't be afraid to follow this trajectory, this logical conclusion. Take what is yours and remember that you are a collective. One of the biggest problems in the U.S. is individualism. And although it is most rampant among middle-class whites and males, by now it has infected the whole population. This is not a fight to restore some earlier version of the U.S. or the economic system. It is about birthing something new. The old only ever served a minority but now the more middle-class people are waking up and seeing this. The game of exploitation under the guise of democracy or freedom is over. A new global consciousness is rising. Consider that all that has happened is part of this unfolding, including the exploitations at home and abroad, and including global climate change. You have the power to make humanity a part of this global consciousness rather than a failed experiment. Have dignity. The fight at hand. Carry it out from a centered place of love for all beings, even your opponents. Remember that they are suffering themselves from the very system they perpetuate. Wreak as little destruction as possible for everyone and all beings. Remember that what you are doing is on behalf of all life, it affects all life. Honor your ancestors, those who walked before and gave you the precious gift of life. Honor your descendants. Leave the world better than you found it. And remember you are part of a great chain of life. Not everyone will understand this. Change can happen quietly and radically when all lines up. The people, the ancestors, other life forms, heart, vision, will, clear intention, and common values. It doesn't have to be a majority to make this change come to pass. So oh, I want to point out one thing that remains in our few minutes remaining. The thing that I often keep being drawn to is where are the leaders? Not so much of the movement, but globally. Like Where, where are the leaders here? Um, and what it makes me think about is how in ancient times – Leaders consulted shamans and oracles in ancient, ancient times. And sometimes you couldn't get elected as a leader unless you had a good shaman or oracle that was part of your team. And so I was also wondering, what would you say if President Obama did call and asked for your guidance as a shaman to his leadership? What would you say? Okay, well, I asked about this too. So what I was told to tell President Obama is this. You have a great historic opportunity if you can step out of your box. You can choose a different archetype, the clown or the fool or the lover, and move from that. Give up the approval of anyone. Find your own authentic heart-centered voice and speak it at all risk to make your greatest contribution 
Casting crumbs to appease the masses will not do. Perhaps you want to expose the truth of Washington. The cost could be your office or even your life. But if you operate as fool or lover, you may be able to avoid loss of life or even office. Then the people will rise up and protect you if you have the courage and imagination to stand up. You know what is right. Just remember and do it. Free yourself of the chains that still hold you. It is nice to have someone in office who does know what's right. <laughs> um, so, Lenore, as we, as we come to the end here, with, with all of this said and all that is, remains unsaid in this a very big time, big uh, moment that is a long extended moment over months and years and centuries, what, what, what do you have to say at this point? What would you say in closing to people today? I would say it's a tremendous honor to be on the planet at this time and that the more we can face towards the collective and identify with and become active in the collective, whatever that may mean for different people. For some, that may mean your family. It could be your neighborhood. It could be your church. It could be your journey circle. But turning towards the collective and also praying or journeying and asking, what is your personal gift to this transition on the planet at this time? What is your personal strength or gift for you to contribute? That's going to be something very specific to each individual. And I think it's crucial for each of us to identify that and to honor it by giving it. So, Lenore, I really appreciate you bringing the words of of your helping spirits in today as well. And I'm wondering, would you publish the message to the Occupy Movement somewhere today? Would you put that up somewhere that people could go read it again? Good idea. I will do that. I'll put it on my website. Okay. Um, and everybody, that's LenoreNorgard.com. Yeah. I'll, fi- I'll, have to put it, I'll figure out a way to put it on there. But yeah, I'll put okay. it there. Great. Um, so I, I think that there's so much richness in it in so many places that people can find themselves, but they'll probably need to read it a few times to, to find that. I think that would be helpful. It was really beautiful. But it was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> That's why I said, I think we need more time for this. Part. Right. And so it'll allow people to come, come back to it. So for those of you that want to contact Lenore and p- potentially continue um, parts of this conversation, she can be reached by email at Lenore at LenoreNorgard.com. And, and again, her website is LenoreNorgard.com. And um, Lenore is planning to offer um, – training around shamanism and activism in the near future and so if you are interested in that go to her website and do what is necessary to get on her mailing list and then you'll be able to be informed of that in the future um i believe those are all the details thank you so much lenore for being with us today and sharing your your perspective that is um uh, made more rich from the time that you have spent um in your life bringing shamanism into activism and being focused in activism and just bringing your heart and your mind into the effort of social change and transformation. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Christina. Yeah, we give thanks to your ancestors for dreaming you up that you could be here with us at this most auspicious time. We give thanks to the ancestors who have gathered around the earth below and the sky above us and the heart within each one of us and the heart that unites us all. 
Um, next week, I am going to do a show specifically on what Lenore was talking about. How do we do the deep internal work? And so that's next week's show. Um, I just want to give thanks to you again, Lenore, and your helping spirits for sharing um, wisdom with us here today. And may, may we go forward today and use it. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening.